I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. George Russell, this super substitute for the Mercedes-Benz Formula 1 F1 team, could have run away with the Sahir GP in his first race in a Mercedes-Benz car. Alas, a late gaffe during a late pit stop plus a subsequent puncture helped land Sergio Perez, his maiden Formula 1 victory in his 190th race after an absolutely stellar, stellar drive, fighting back from 18th place in the first lap. This is the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. I'm Mark Hamilton, joined as always by the show's legendary founder, Mark Daly. My goodness, you know, we started talking two weeks ago about what could possibly be left in this F1 season (laughs) to keep people engaged and interested. And it has been an absolutely thrilling couple of weeks punctuated by, and I I probably shouldn't use that term, poor George Russell, but punctuated by an absolute thriller in Bahrain today on that semi-oval, which I think our listeners are probably pretty familiar with. Oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. What were your initial thoughts coming out of this race? Well, my initial thoughts were, I think I need to go and sit back down and watch this one again, because, (laughs) you know, it was, uh, like you say, I mean, it was a stellar performance by George Russell deputizing for Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes over the past couple of days. You know, Lewis withdrawing earlier last week after following a, a positive COVID test. George came in right from, and, and, and we recorded on Thursday night for the weekly show, literally just hours away from FP1. And we wake up on Friday morning here to see the news that George is literally blowing everybody away. And that was pretty much the, the like the, the the tone that was set almost right from the, the the outset. But just absolutely impressive stuff from George. And and I think he really nailed it, no pun intended. Uh, in the in the first corner, he was on the inside of the track, on the dirty side of the track, with the sand had been blowing there, not a lot of grip. Had a very, very good start, pushed his way past Valtteri Bottas on pole, uh, again, just uh, indicating that he wasn't going to take anything from anyone. He was out there to race for himself and do the job and get the job done. Pushed Valtteri out of the way to a certain extent. Nice, clean overtake, but a very, very, you know, aggressive move into turn one. And then everything kind of backed up there. You had uh, Valtteri kind of holding on a little bit and then fending off Charles Leclerc, Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen, who were all scrapping behind them, get up into turn four. And that was one of the turning points, at least in the at the beginning of the race. It was uh, uh, Charles and uh, Max and Sergio all basically wheel to wheel. Valtteri kind of getting in the way. Max backs off. He eases out of it. Well, actually, he slammed on the brakes uh, to, to get out of that. Had Sergio come way across the track from the left-hand side. Charles making a very overambitious move up the inside. But hey... You know, Charles at fault, you know, he gets a three-place grid pen, uh, penalty for, for uh, Abu Dhabi next week. But, you know, he saw daylight, but that's really where it was. Poor old Max avoids that uh, contact. He gets off into the runoff area and then just slides into the barrier. Checo ending up all the way at the back. And uh, Charles, 
unfortunate, uh, obviously, for him. Qualifying very well in fourth damages his left front suspension. But that's what really kind of set everything up there. You had the early safety car, and then you had three of the contenders knocked out, basically, in, in, in the first corner. Charles done for the day, Max done for the day, and Sergio right at the very back. And had you said to me at that point, I still think that Sergio Perez has a shot to get on a podium, I kind of would have raised an eyebrow, or maybe even both of them. <laughs> but it was, it 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 really... It really didn't disappoint in terms of entertainment. There, there was a lot that went on, and uh, you know, I still don't, I, I still can't wrap my mind completely around this one because there were so many different threads to pull on this race. You know, we end up we've been talking a lot about this the last couple of days, and and I'll be honest, you know, we I, I didn't watch this race live, and and I don't watch a lot of races live because they're typically on at five or six a.m. our time, so yeah. it's a little bit more, it makes a little bit more sense for us to be able to record them and kind of watch it at our leisure a little bit later. And the risk in doing that though is oftentimes you accidentally open Instagram or you get a text <laughs> yeah. from a friend, and and I got a friend a text from a friend this morning, and incidentally, this is the same friend who spoiled the conclusion to the 2015 MotoGP season, um, which is something I, I still haven't lived down and I still feel a little bit bitter about, but he's a good friend. But I was getting ready to go for a run and I checked my text messages and I, I, I kind of did the math in my head and it was late in the race. And the text message was like, wow, Russell's leading this late. And I'm just like, okay. So I, I went for a run and I didn't check. I, I just kind of extrapolated from that, that he was going to win the race. So I went for this run and the whole time I was out running, I was building this narrative in my head about what we would talk about today that, Hey, look, you know, great for Russell. You know, he makes that transition from a Williams car. He immediately jumps into the point. He wins a race. This is terrible for Hamilton because it doesn't look good on him. It's terrible for Bottas because Bottas has to be thinking I could potentially lose my seat to this guy. It's terrible for F1. It's great for Mercedes because it just reinforces that everything they do is so well executed. But that was kind of the narrative I I had in my head. So I came home and I watched the race with my wife. And I think there was a point where he's leading the race and Bottas is doing absolutely nothing to close in on him. And my wife's like, okay, I think this is done. But I think you did a really good job of summarizing that in that first lap on the fourth corner, when Leclerc goes hot, makes contact with Perez, collects Max, goes into the wall. At that point, it was kind of like, you know what? Anything could happen here. You know, a couple of the traditional podium sitters are out of the race. We could see a really unique conclusion. And I'm thinking, I don't know how it's not going to be Russell and Bottas 1-2 in, in some order. But I have to give Russell all the credit in the world from free practice 1 and free practice 2 to just, just being pipped by Bottas and qualifying. His weekend was perfect. He, as a driver, couldn't have done anything better. And, and you know, you, you talk about the fact that, hey, you know, this is Hamilton's car. Well, the, the, the announcers did a really good job of talking about the fact that he didn't fit in that car. In fact, he was mm -hmm. wearing racing boots that were sizes too small just so he could get his feet into the pedal box. Like this wasn't a car that was built for him. So I think he executed superbly. Ultimately, the outcome was really decided by some external factors. But you know what? Pit stops, they're part of a race. Uh, punctures, it's part of the race. And in the post-race interviews, you know, he was pretty gracious about that. He said, look, at the end of the day, punctures are part of the race. This is a team sport. We win together. We die together. All those kind of pieces. So he was disappointed, but not necessarily bitter. But I, I think for me, despite the fact that he didn't win and he didn't get a podium, I think it throws up a pretty significant red flag for Mercedes about the future of Bottas. And, you know, you did a great job a couple of weeks ago about talking to the fact that Mercedes has been very strategic with Bottas. And this isn't a guy they signed to two or three year deals. It's always a one year deal. 
a one-year deal, a one-year deal. And it was only in August that they renewed him for 2021. And I, I got to think now that if if I'm Mercedes, maybe I just buy him out and I bring Russell in. Like, what, what possible advantage could there be for Russell to waste away at Williams for another year? He's not going to learn anything. He's not going to develop. He's going to be in a car that, for all intents and purposes, is not going to be any better than it is this year. Like, if I'm, if I'm Mercedes and I, I'm really motivated and invested in him as part of the future of this team, why wait? You know what? He demonstrated this weekend that he's already better than our number two driver. You need to make that transition and you either buy out Bottas and I think he's at about $8 million US a year or you know what? You you help cover that that rate and you move him into the Williams team. Either way, I just, I think for Formula One, it's not a good look. It's not a good look necessarily that he can step from the worst car in Formula One to contend for a race overnight. But what it does do is reinforce that all of the things associated with the cost cap and the new Concord agreement F1 has recognized that there's a massive parity issue, and hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll start to see some of that kind of road, because so far this year, and we've kind of seen glimpses of it, we've had 13 different podium sitters this year versus eight last year. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's really exciting, and that's really, really, really fun to watch, but I think ultimately the, the race was a thriller, heartbroken for Russell, thrilled for Sergio, and there's so much we can talk about with Sergio, but just in terms of, of Russell, his his race management, his pace, his tire management, uh, I, I also had, and it's funny, but when the race started, my wife and I kind of looked at each other, I'm just like, I don't think Bottas is going to hold this for more than a lap or two. He didn't hold it for a corner. <laughs> <laughs> before before Russell passes him and instantly within a couple of laps he's up three three and a half seconds and he's just caning it and it was funny too because Russell came on the radio at one point he's like okay when can I open this up and it's like you're not at full speed you're not in party mode now like this is remarkable but yep. yeah it was it was a thriller of a race regardless of the outcome yeah, you made a number of really good points there, Mark, and I, I think that we'll uh, look back at uh, the Secure Grand Prix at the end of the year, or even as, uh, well, right now we're doing it, whereas uh, today is the date, uh, December 6, 2020, that yeah. uh, Valtteri Bottas uh, it indicated the best before date. For for Valtteri Bottas, uh, it became known to everyone because he, you know, he said a couple of days ago before the the the, the race, everybody showed up again at the track to get ready for their get going at uh, for for this event. That if he didn't do well compared to Russell, that it would not be a good look for him. And I mean, Russell had him all weekend long. I mean, he only missed pole by two and a half hundredths. I mean, that is not a very very big gap, especially for a guy. I mean, he's not even the official reserve driver. He hasn't even I mean, he hasn't even really been in these cars for a couple of years, you know, because, I mean, he was a reserve driver before. And then, you know, it was Stoffel Van Dorn. So, I mean, it didn't even look, you know, when some of this discussion was going out earlier this week as to who was going to jump in that car for Lewis Hamilton while, you know, he recovers, um, you know, from, from, from COVID. George actually kind of didn't immediately make sense. I mean, it made sense because he was there. He's in the Mercedes system. But, you know, on paper, he's not the official uh, reserve driver. But, I mean, like you say, I mean, he just impressed the entire weekend. And it really does, you know, really poses Mercedes with a difficult question now. Because, like you say, if he goes back to Williams for another year, he's he's not going to improve on his racecraft. He's not going to learn anything more. It's just going to be another year for him in, a, in an uncompetitive car where he's shown that he can come and get the business done in a car that, you know, isn't even designed uh, for for him. You know, obviously, I mean, Lewis, obviously the the undisputed number one uh, driver to Mercedes, but I mean, he's proven that he's already as competitive, if not more so than uh, Valtteri Bottas. And I mean, he just, uh, I, I, I mean, it... 
the the question is why you know when do you get uh, uh, sorry George Russell into the Mercedes but why wouldn't you put George Russell into that Mercedes right now because the big question is think I, I think right now for them is okay they got to sit down now in the next in the, the the upcoming weeks you know in, in the short to midterm and sit down with Lewis and say okay mate you know what what's what what's the deal seven times world champion you're out of contract at the end of the year you know what, what do you want to do what, what what do we need to get uh, get this done do you want to continue so they got to get Lewis's contract status uh, sorted out that's going to be a top priority as far as uh, Russell and Bottas I mean that's almost um, a nice problem for them to have because they know even if they have a Bottas in the car, he's still going to go out there. He's going to get the job done for them in terms of getting podiums, getting the occasional win and, and racking up the points that they need to keep trying to extend this run in the Constructors' Championship. However, you know, they, they've got to think, I mean, Lewis now in his mid-30s, he set all the records, he's tied with Schumacher. You, you, you have to think that... Even though he's been saying recently that, uh, you know, he's just feeling like he's getting started, you know, the writing is on the wall to a certain extent. I I mean, he is, you know, he's not getting any younger. I mean, he can walk away from Formula One at any time on his terms. I mean, he's earned that right and he deserves to to do so. But at some point, if you're Total Wolf or you're Mercedes, you have to start thinking Lewis is not going to race forever. And if you know you've got a guy like George Russell in the you know waiting in the wings you know maybe this is a guy that you want to bring into the team now knowing that maybe in a couple of years Lewis isn't going to be there anymore although it's it kind of uh, poses a different problem as well whereas you know that Lewis just has to go out there and do what he needs to do and not push himself more than he needs to and he knows that he's going to be faster than Valtteri Bottas the big question is you put Lewis in a car and George Russell in the same car, what is that gap going to be? I mean, we know what Lewis is going to do based on years and years of uh, you know material to draw from compared to one weekend for, for, for George Russell and her Mercedes. So it's a very small sample size, but he's asked a lot of questions this week and it really, really does set up, uh, you know, I think it really puts uh, <laughs> a lot of pressure on, you know, definitely on Bottas. And it would be- it would yeah. be absolutely criminal for Mercedes to do what you just described, which is to send George Russell back to back to the Williams team. And and you made a, a great point, and I don't mean to interject. This is just kind of fresh on my mind. Like mm-hmm. Bottas was never brought to Mercedes to win a championship. Nope. He was brought to Mercedes to help space the field and buy Lewis the space to do the things that he does to win races. George Russell has been designated a future champion. And you know what? Everyone within the Mercedes Academy talks about that. Everyone within the media community and Sky Sports talks about that. And ultimately, it would be a waste of his time for him to go back to Williams. And the reality is you make a great point as well. Lewis Hamilton, my sense is he could be in the sport as long as he wants. I, I, I think he's got so much going on in his life outside of Formula One, whether it's music or fashion. I don't think he wants to be racing when he's 40. I think he'll, he'll win this year. I think he may win next year, but beyond that, I don't know. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't need the exposure. I think the other thing we saw from this race too is, and this sounds kind of scary, maybe Formula One doesn't really need him, but if I'm, if I'm, if I'm Williams, if I'm Mercedes, I want Russell there now because I want to expose him 
to Lewis Hamilton. I want him to see how a champion prepares for the race. I mm -hmm. want him to see how a champion deals with the media, deals with social media, works with his mechanics, works with his engineers. I just need to expose him to all of that. It's clear that Bottas isn't the future of that team. He was never brought there to replace Hamilton or be the future number one driver. So you're just wasting everybody's time. And, and I think you're right. Like Russell's performance this weekend has opened up a Pandora's box. And I feel bad for Bottas because I think he's a great guy. But at at the same time, I think he's not consistent enough. He gets rattled easily. Uh, you look at 2018, I know it was two years ago, he finished fifth in the championship in what was by far and away the best car. Like I think his time is, is done and, and Russell's time is here. Now, I think the one question ultimately is this, Mercedes probably doesn't have as much leverage in that conversation as we would like to think they do. And I think ultimately Hamilton's the one that's going to make that decision. And I think if they go to Hamilton and say, hey, look, you know what? We need to we need to prepare for now by getting you locked in and we need to prepare for our future by bringing in Russell. If, if Hamilton's okay with that, I think that's cool. But ultimately, if Hamilton prefers to run with Bottas, I think obviously Bottas will be back. And he is under contract next year, but I mean, it's a relatively small contract for an organization the size of Mercedes. So yeah. I don't think there would be any issue buying that out. But but yeah, I think all of your points make total sense. And I think it's going to be really interesting to watch because I think as well for, for Russell, from an engagement perspective, if you send me back to Williams for a 23 race calendar where I'm unlikely to score a single point, but I've had a taste of that, that Mercedes car, I'm not going to be happy either. Yeah. You raise a couple of good points there. I want to pick up on, uh, on them after the break here, and we'll do so after we hear a word from our sponsors here on the Overtime Media Network. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And uh, we are talking the Sakir Grand Prix. We're talking Valtteri Bottas. We're especially talking George Russell and Mark 
Yeah, you, you said something just uh, before the break there. Just uh, it, w- it was a very good uh, thought. I just wanted to pick up on that. Where you said, you know, w- one of the pros of getting, if you're Mercedes, and putting George Russell into that uh, second Mercedes for 2021, you expose him to a seven-time, uh, current seven-time world champion and all the things that Lewis does on the track, off the track, you know, the, the, the whole complete package. And I, I don't think that Lewis is that kind of guy that would be very much, oh, oh, no, 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 this is my side of the garage and that's his side of the garage, you know, don't cross that line. I think that uh, that, that Lewis is good enough of a team player, good enough of a teammate that I think he would, uh, I, I think he'd be accepting of that, uh, knowing that where he is at his in his career, knowing that, uh, you know, like you say, he's got lots of other interests outside of Formula One. And then uh, at some point he's going to just draw a line under it and decide, okay, you know, I, I, I've had enough with Formula One. I've achieved everything I wanted to do. And, and George is just, uh, he, he's going to he would not benefit from having like you say that uh, another year at uh, at Williams for 23 races when he could be in that uh, team right now and said so, like you say like eight million dollars or whatever Bottas's contract is for next year that really is the drop in the hat uh, for for Mercedes but uh, you know just going back to the race itself it, it went from a thing as you know that like, I, I had several different thoughts and emotions watching that race to as George could actually win this race to as George could still probably get a podium to bloody hell after all this is done, said and done. He better finally finish in the points because he really looked like he was a snake bit there. And that, that was just a really, really unfortunate. But, you know, the final result doesn't really, I mean, when you go and look at the the, the, the final race classification years from now, I mean, you see where George finished up and to where he should have done had things worked out, uh, you know, fairly or properly. I mean, fairly is something <laughs> completely different, but it really isn't an indication of the, the, the body of work that he put into it. But I think another thing that we saw that Red Bull, undisputed kings of the double stack, Mercedes, they can get it done on occasion. But I, I was just shocked at how badly they botched that. That was I, I, out of everybody, I do not expect them to do it. Like, like I say, like Red Bull ha- seemed to have the double stack down to a, an art. They, they've seemed to have had it for a couple of years. Mercedes has been shown proven to be competent, but today it was just like, it was just a, a nightmare of things just going wrong. And by the time it was all said and done, George ended up with the, you know, he ended up, they ended up getting a fine for, you know, getting the wrong tires on the car and all these different things. There's too many different things going on. It was just, a, it was just a mess, absolute mess. I've never seen anything like that, that pit. And, and and I remember watching it happen and I, I was thinking the same thing that you were like, hey, you know what? They've, they've got at least uh, some fresh history of being successful at executing a, a double stack. And this is a, an incredibly complex maneuver. But again, if I'm going to bank on any team being able to make it happen, it's going to be Mercedes. But the, the, sheer, the sheer fallacy and the sheer chaos that was that double stack was... was and it, it wasn't just that it was ill-timed and that there was error and that there was a break on fire and that it held up both drivers, but it was ultimately that you put one of Bottas's tires on <laughs> Russell's car, which ultimately triggers a fine. And thank thank goodness it was a fine because it also could have been a, an in-race penalty. It yeah. could have been a grid penalty. It could have been all sorts of different things. But ultimately, that means that poor Russell has to come back in again. And it ultimately means for Bottas as well that he ends up going back on the same tires. So he sits in there for like 60 seconds, but exits with the exact same tires that he came in on. Like it was 
it was absolutely mind-boggling. And that said, I, I know that a, a lot of people were arguing that towards the end, one of the reasons that Bottas kind of fell backwards through the pack so much was because he was on those old hard tires. But I would argue that Stroll was on old tires, that Ocon was on old tires, and they were just doing a better job of managing their tires at that point. And maybe maybe there's kind of an emotional aspect that was that was upsetting Bottas. But I would have expected that that double stack would have gone well. And then, of course, the puncture was ultimately just the cherry on the top of what was mm-hmm. really a chaotic finish. But it's it's heartbreaking to see somebody lose a race like that. That said, I still don't think you can put an asterisk on this race because pit stops are a fundamental part of the sport. And ultimately, if Formula One wanted to do away with pit stops, there's ways they could do it. Ultimately, we don't refuel now. They could create a tire with a compound that would allow drivers to go the entire race like you don't need to have mandatory pit stops but they do it because it adds a new dynamic to the race and it creates a little bit more excitement but ultimately you know russell was really good in the post-race interviews because he was asked about this and i i think some of those that were interviewing were trying to trip him up a little bit to get him to speak negatively but he was very he was very positive that hey we're a team we race as a team we Mm -hmm. error as a team and it was obviously nice to hear that and obviously he wants to build some emotional equity with that team that he might potentially race with next weekend in Abu Dhabi and, and ongoing, but it was heartbreaking to see. And it was about as bad as you could have imagined. And I think the last time I saw a tire mix up like that was probably Bottas back in 2015, but it was heartbreaking to see. Yeah. Well, I mean, Total Wolf, I mean, uh, t- take this for what it's worth. He actually attributed the the whole debacle for the for the, the, the double stack due to the fact that uh, the, the, the George's side of the garage didn't hear the radio message that they were coming in. And so there was all that mix up. So you know whether or not this, this this is true or it's just a, a you know Toto trying to save a bit of face in the media you know uh, you, you could argue that one uh, either way i mean only those uh, you know those guys wearing the you know the silver overalls really know what uh, what what happened in that uh, mercedes uh, garage but it was just it was a disastrous thing but you know i i mean you can make that argument or you you brought up uh, you know uh, bottas dropping through the field uh, after that pit stop you know going back on the old tires and sure i guess that's a part of it but you know it seems to me that when things don't go his way that he he tends to really fade like i'm i'm starting to really wonder you know a little bit about his mental fortitude his mental strength and uh, you know uh, when he's dealt a bit of adversity i mean george looked uh, rock solid and uh, despite the fact that you know, he had that unfortunate late puncture and everything like that i mean he still did what he needed to do and was able to bring the car back he was able to fight back and get into the points and that's why it would have been uh, so disappoint, extra disappointing for George that uh, had he been uh, disqualified or was given a, a time penalty or some some other way that uh, dropped him out of the points, just uh, would uh, it, it would have been just. Uh, Bad karma, which just would have been so unfortunate for the guy, especially after he did uh, everything else uh, right. But you know, we we really should talk about uh, a lot of the different uh, things that uh, that went on in in the race here. I mean, l- let's just go down the, the the final race classification for the the points paying positions. Of course, we had uh, Sergio Perez uh, winning this one for Racing Point, Esteban Ocon and Renault uh, for uh, second. You know, you did not hear that incorrectly. Lance Stroll rounding out. Uh, the, the the podium in the second racing point. Then you have Carlos Sainz, Danny Ricardo, Alex Albon, Danny Kvyat, Valentary Bottas in eighth, George Russell ninth, and Lando Norris in the second. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, McLaren in P ten. So I mean, it, it really did uh, <laughs> change things up. And I mean that we only had one other car that was uh, not classified at the end of the race, uh, aside from the uh, Verstappen and Leclerc, who uh, were uh, you know uh, ruled out after that uh, first lap incident. That was uh, Nick. 
Nick Latifi in the other, uh, uh, sorry, in one of the Williams. So, I mean, as, as far as uh, cars uh, dropping out, I mean, there really wasn't uh, too many, uh, you know, we didn't lose too many drivers uh, this weekend, but it was just, it was interesting too, because I really wanted to see what uh, what Charles was going to do in that Ferrari. I, I must admit, I was very surprised that he qualified where he did. And we all know how Charles is able to extract every ounce of performance out of a car, be it a good car or a bad car, somewhere in between. So it's unfortunate that uh, that ill-advised move that he uh, made trying to uh, make that overtaking maneuver in turn four on the first lap uh, was the end of his day. Uh, because, I mean, Vettel just, you know, unfortunately, and I mean, he's just running out the clock there. But I mean, Seb was uh, P12 in the second uh, Ferrari. I mean, he was just uh, miles behind the time by the time it was all said and done. I mean, he was behind uh, Pierre Gasly. I mean, a disappointing for, for Gasly as well to finish outside of the points. Uh, I mean, he, he's had a pretty good season. But then I guess the the other cars that you have outside of the points, and, and this is really telling you. Have, uh, so like I said, well, I, I guess by the time, <laughs> so I was just going to go through P1 to 10, but I think it uh, bears mentioning too, just the, the the rest of the classification. You had uh, Pierre Gasly, the AlphaTauri Honda. They had Vettel with the, the Ferrari, Works Ferrari. Then uh, Giovinazzi and Raikkonen in the two Alphas, and you had uh, K Mag in the in the Haas. You had uh, Jack Aitken in the uh, Mercedes Powers Williams in uh, 16th, and then you had Pietro Fittipaldi, who was uh, the the final classified car in uh, in P17, and that was the second Ferrari powered car. So I mean, in those uh, cars outside of the point, there are a lot that had uh, Ferrari power. So. It would have been interesting to see where Charles would have ended up. I don't think he would have been able to keep it up that high during the race. I, I think he probably would have finished somewhere in the points. Of course, this is just speculation uh, on, on my behalf, but that was uh, certainly one. But, you know, I, I guess uh, just talking about, uh, we should talk about Sergio Perez because he's going, this was his penultimate race in Formula One for the for the time being without a contract uh, for, for next year as of now. And uh, obviously there probably aren't very many options uh, left, if any, at this point. But, you know, it, uh, it it really was interesting to see how he fought back because it, it, he obviously had a very, very quick car underneath him. He had a very good start. And, you know, my, my initial reaction to uh, that, that first corner, or sorry, uh, fourth corner incident with, uh, with him and Charles and Max was, I kind of put that sort of like 95%-ish on Charles and 5% on, uh, on Sergio, only for the fact that he was really out wide left and came across. But I mean, it was more of the fact that, you know, if you get into an accident where somebody rear-ends you, you know, the insurance always like puts you like 5 or 10% at fault just because you were there. And that was almost the same thing for, for poor old uh, Sergio. But I really thought at that point his, his race was done. But I guess, you know, fortunately for him, the safety car period went long enough that uh, you know that uh, that that he even though he ended up at the back of the pack, it wasn't as as though he lost. A, you know he had to go around the entire lap. Uh, you know with the, he didn't have a front wing and you know was lost so much ground to the, the to, to the other car. So at least from from that point of view. He was far down in the running order, but he still had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of time and uh, a lot of laps uh, to, to, to catch up. And it really, really was a testament to his perseverance. And, uh, you know, he just uh, he, he just had a, 
you know, raced a smart race and just uh, took his, uh, you know, took advantage of what he could and make the mo- um, make the most of the opportunities as he had them, and it paid off. But I mean, uh, and let, I, I think that I think it bears mentioning that this kind of result has probably been on the cards for Racing Point. We we've seen it here and there throughout the season. I mean, it looked like that they were going to do something similar in that very slick and slippery Turkish Grand Prix a couple of weeks ago, and uh, again when you rule out some of the big names like your Hamiltons, your Verstappens, your Leclercs and stuff like that, it, uh, it, it didn't take away from the race. And as much as I love watching those other guys race, had we had Lewis there, had we had Max, we probably would have had the same thing. We probably would have Lewis there somewhere. We probably would have had Bottas about five or six seconds behind and then Max probably five or six seconds behind Valtteri. So just... Because, you know, you, you eliminate a couple of those guys for those different reasons. It really brought a different flavor to the race and it, it made it exciting. I was talking to one of my close friends, uh, Randy, a couple of days ago, and he he shared that same op- kind of observation that you just did about Bottas in the sense that if he gets rattled, he's quickly, and this sounds cliche, but he's thrown off his game. Yeah. And, and Perez seems to be very, very different in the sense that if there is something to fight against, he fights back harder. And to your point, he, he had a really great start. And it's, it's probably interesting to mention as well that over the last couple of races, Racing Point had a lot of, lot of bad luck. You know, at the first race in Bahrain, obviously Perez was in a position for a podium. He was going to get the third position. And ultimately he had a catastrophic engine failure and had to cough up the position, slip down the grid all the way to 18th. But that was his podium and he ended up handing it to Albon. The race before that, again, we know what happened in Turkey. Lance Stroll put down a blistering lap in qualifying, and he was dominating that race. Dominating in very much the same way that Russell was dominating this race. And if not for that front wing damage, possibly could have won that race. And we could have had that uh, racing point double podium two races ago. So I I really feel like, and you kind of alluded to this, that this was really the culmination of a lot of what racing points been building towards um obviously right now they've now skipped ahead of mclaren and the constructors standing so despite everything they've been through this year which was not being able to get a hulkenberg car onto the grid to start a race despite the fact that perez missed a couple of races with covid despite the fact that stroll missed a race with covid despite the fact that stroll ended up on his roof despite the fact that they lost an easy victory in turkey they're still third in the constructors championship and i think this is a remarkable story. And again, they're third, despite the fact that they had that 15 point penalty earlier in the season, because yeah. Renault kept petitioning against them because of that whole break duct fiasco from earlier in the year. But I think they put together a pretty solid package in terms of the season. I think the the one really confusing piece is, and again, this was a decision that was made some time ago, but it's really difficult to imagine the Force India slash Racing Point team without Sergio Perez being a part of it. And it's not that he's out of contract after this season. It's that he was effectively bought out of that three-year deal he only signed last year. So we're not going to go into the upcoming season without Sergio Perez. So for for a lot of reasons, I, I think fans were happy for him. I was happy. His race was spectacular. Like you said, you know, he made contact with with Charles early in the race, corner four. Um, it was probably a little bit his fault. And I think he was probably a little bit lucky that there wasn't a penalty there or any points deducted. But ultimately, he drove a masterful race. He was absolute the key 
the, the king of tire management. Um, he was still building a lead at the end of the race. I still think Russell probably would have caught him. Whether he would have passed him, I don't know, but I think it would have been an absolutely thrilling end. Uh, but ultimately, I think this is a, a fantastic finish for Perez. And this is a guy now in his 10th season. He's almost always been the underdog. You know, this is a guy that started with a couple seasons at Sauber. Second year with Sauber, he had three podiums, almost won a race in Malaysia, almost got Fernando Alonso at the end of that race, um, made the transition to McLaren. For all, a ton of reasons we won't get into now, many of which were political, that situation didn't work out. And he was effectively rescued by Force India. And he's had some really great results. But currently, right now, this is a guy who is sitting fourth in the Drivers' Championship. This is the best season he's had by a mile, despite the fact that he missed two races due to COVID. And then this is a guy that's effectively without a race seat next year. And and I think the question, and I'll, I'll, yeah, you know what? I want, oh, it gets me worked up, but I, I want to hear your thoughts on this one before I kind of vent any further. Well, I've got plenty of thoughts on that and we'll do so just as we take another break here on the Overtime Media Network. So don't go away and we'll come back. We'll talk more about Racing Point and Sergio Perez. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And how how was that for a cliffhanger? But hey, obligations are <laughs> obligations here. Uh, yeah, you know the the whole Sergio Perez thing. Like you say, I mean, he's been having a great year despite some of the adversity that he's had. You know, for the you know he went to back to Mexico during the summer. You know, to visit his mother, came back, tested positive, missed a couple of races at Silverstone. But you know, he's come back and then he's had to deal with this whole adversity. I mean, it just unfortunately seemed that once that uh, that that whole conversation uh, conversation started linked. Sebastian Vettel going to Racing Point slash Aston Martin for 2021. Of course, you know, it was just, it was a lot of speculation at the time and it was downplayed by Sebastian at yeah. the time. But, you know, I, I always think that sometimes that when you hear these things sort of like thrown around in the media, that that old saying where there's smoke, there's fire, that, uh, you know, th there was something to that. And it's just a little bit, uh, well, it's more than a little bit unfortunate for, for Sergio because, I mean, certainly if you're Lawrence Stroll and the people that are putting all the money into that team right now, despite some of the hiccups that they've had along the way, especially this year, uh, you know, I, I think you have to be feeling pretty good about that. I mean, obviously a double podium finish today with the, with the victory and a P3. Uh, I, I think you're obviously feeling very good about that because, you know, th those opportunities have kind of come and kind of slipped through their fingers throughout different points uh, during the season. So they're going into, you know, like a, a brand new year next year, obviously, you know, we're going to get the, the, the Aston Martin whole slant to that. And, you know, they're going to have that branding. You got a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel coming in, you know, the, the, the money's coming in from the investors. So this is a team that's doing good things. And, you know, certainly, I mean, like you say, there was all this uh, controversy, like the, the this rolling protest from Renault for all these, you know, multiple races earlier in the year. Then the penalty, you know, the, the 15 points, like you say, that were deducted and all that drama that they had. And, I mean, ultimately, they did design a good car. You know, this whole controversy from the, the, the pink, uh, pink Mercedes aside, I, I mean, it was interesting because when you heard Otmar Safnauer talking about it, yeah, the, obviously he was, you, you can't avoid the fact that it looks very much like last year's Mercedes W10, but he was quite frank and open about it saying, yeah, we, we, we borrowed on those concepts, we worked on them, but we dropped a long way back from where we were before we started to make the, 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 the positive steps uh, forward. But, you know, they, they've had a good car and a quick car all year long and, and Sergio... 
it's just it's a tough time to, for for him to walk away. But I think he's leaving Formula One, and and if he does, you know, I mean, obviously the the, the one seat that is still potentially up for grab is is, is the Red Bull. I mean, Christian Horner has said that they're not going to make a decision on Albon until after the season. So I mean, we're, we're coming up to the final race next week, so they're going to find out, uh, or they're, they're going to make that known. I would hope uh, fairly soon. I mean, uh, at least for Albon's sake, and so he knows whether or not he's in that team next year, or if he has to start looking for something else. And then uh, likewise uh, for Sergio or whoever ends up drawing into that uh, that, that place uh, notwithstanding. But even if he does have to sit out, I mean, he's already been saying that he has options on the table for 2022. It's... Uh it's it's bad timing because to sit out a year at any time is not a good thing. But I mean, he, at least I guess from the the, the you know the, the he can take the moral high ground, I suppose, because he's had a good year. He's had some good results. He's done everything that he needed to. But unfortunately, when the music stopped, there wasn't a seat for him to sit down on the the, the, the musical uh, chairs of Formula One. And I, I think that's tough for the guy. And uh, you know, a friend of mine, very good friend of mine, he's uh, from Mexico. He's not a huge uh, Formula One fan. Uh, but uh, he follows it uh, close enough. So uh, <laughs> after the checkered flag was waved today, there were a lot of uh, you know excited uh, text uh, text messages uh, coming my uh, from my friend uh, about uh, you know Checo Perez, uh, and he's automatically been labeled a legend in Mexico. So there you go. So <laughs> I'm just wondering if we can now uh, rename uh, the, the 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 track in Mexico, the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez e Checo Perez. <laughs> it seems like a, love it. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's unfortunate because uh you know if he does draw back into formula one in 2022 that's great i think he 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 deserves a spot in formula one i mean he's done so much i mean he he literally helped trigger the 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 whole series of events a couple of years ago to get vj malia out of force india and to bring in that opportunity for them to you know open up the whole process go into receivership and let lauren stroll come in with his investors and rescue that so you know, from from that point of view, that's really really tough because, you know, he, he you know he's been there. He's been a good team guy. I mean, he's he's done the business for them, and uh, unfortunately, that that that's professional sports. That's Formula One, and uh, I, I certainly feel for him on, on that uh, on that front. But. You know where it'd be interesting. Of course, he he's not going to to say it, regardless if he has these options or not for 2022. That's a, a different story. But if he does, it'd be interesting to 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 find out. You know, if you got Sergio, uh, you know, in a quiet corner, so come on, Checo. Uh, you know, what are your options uh, for for 2022? You know, who who could it be? And well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I've sort of like I've been tossing that one around in my mind, and you know, it's it it, it you know at, at least from 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 this side of the fence, looking outwards into Formula One, it's a little bit kind of hard to to really speculate with any kind of clarity at uh, e- even at this point. I I heard him made those comments today as well that he's effectively made peace with the fact that he may not be in the sport in 2021 and he's already looking forward to 2022. But I did the math and I I don't know what that ride is. And of the options that would conceivably be available in 2022, I don't know that he'd necessarily want them. And I, I mean, at the end of the day, there is still conceivably an option. And that option is Red Bull, and it's sitting next to Max Verstappen in Mm -hmm. that garage. And to me, on paper, and again, I don't want to speculate too much because there there isn't really a lot from uh, kind of a media perspective to substantiate that these conversations are happening. But if I'm Red Bull, I have to be absolutely 
devastated with the performance of Alex Albon this year. And what's really funny about the way that Red Bull has continued to, and I don't know if nurtured is the correct word when it comes to Marco and Horner and any of their drivers, but as fast as they were to pull the plug on Kvyat back in 16, and as fast as they were to pull the plug on Gasly last year, Despite all of that and despite all of Albon's inconsistencies, they seem really invested in finishing the season with him. And maybe at the end of the day, they've already made their decision. But for whatever reason, they seem very much invested in Albon. And the challenge to me is he Mm. just hasn't shown me anything this year. And I get it. The guy's what right now he's eighth in the championship. He's got 93 points, but he is so far off the pace when it comes to competing with his teammate, Max Verstappen. It's it's laughable. Qualifying pace, practice pace, race pace. He's got none of it. And one of his most recent victor or one of his most recent podiums was really just the byproduct of Perez, who we're talking about having catastrophic engine failure. And don't get me wrong. Alexander Albon is a phenomenal kid. He is a sweet kid. I mm-hmm. really, really, really like him. And I think he could really have benefited with a complete season uh, with Alpha Tori. And ultimately, he got promoted when Gasly got stepped down. But I think it's been a challenge for him. But I just don't think he has the pace. And I think as well, if I'm Red Bull and I'm serious about contending for a constructor's title, I can't do it when there's so little parity between my drivers. You look you look at Max Verstappen this year. He has, despite a handful of retirements, one, two, three, four, despite five retirements this year, Max Verstappen has 190 points in the driver's championship. If you look at our friend Alexander Albon this year, he's got less than half the points that his teammate does. That That's not acceptable, uh, ultimately. And, and I just, I can't get my head wrapped around if I'm Red Bull why I would want to sign up for more of that when I could bring Checo in help him understand from the very beginning that ultimately this is Max's team you know he's the number one driver but you're going to have an opportunity to win some races because you've got one of the best cars on the grid like if I'm Checo I'm going to sign up for that in a heartbeat I just I don't know why they haven't extended that offer and again this conversation's really speculative and it's a little bit dangerous and irresponsible <laughs> sometimes to have these conversations but I just look at it from a business perspective if I'm that Milton Keynes based Red Bull team what am I waiting for and why am I going to continue to give Albon these opportunities opportunities if I think he's a good driver move him back to Alpha Tori bounce Kvyat you know what he's used to being bounced out of Formula <laughs> One and he hasn't had a great year himself but I just I don't understand what their hesitation is when you now have a race winner who's a proven proven great guy great teammate great culture guy and now a winner like what are you waiting for yeah, especially when you lay it out like that, just in those last, uh, you know, couple of sentences there, Mark, it, it really does beg that question. It's like, why, if you're Christian Horner or, or, or uh, Helmut Marco, why are you not picking up that phone right now and calling uh, Checo Perez and his agent is like, guys, you know, we need to sit down and talk because uh, let's face it now, they know what they've got in Alex, uh, Alex yes. Albon. I mean, they, yes, they've yes, had yes. him in the car now for a year and a half. So, you know, like, like you say, I mean, you, you frame it really well. You look at Max, he's got like 190 points. Alex has, what, like 90 points. I mean, there, yeah. there's roughly 100 points uh, b- b- between them. 
And I mean, if you look now at the like the the the, the drivers uh, championship as it is, I mean, despite all the adversity and all the things that Sergio Perez has dealt with this year, he has 125 points. He's the next guy in line after Max, you know. And and then it kind of uh, you know everybody kind of bunches up uh, b- behind that. But you know, I think that if if Checo had the full season, he hadn't missed those couple of races. <clears throat> excuse me, I think that his points total would have been uh, been more than that. And then when you look at the the the, the constructors uh, side of it, I mean Mercedes, of course, they're in their own own little world. But yeah, I mean yeah. Red Bull, despite everything, I mean they have two hundred eighty two points. That's almost a hundred points ahead of where uh, uh, Racing Point is right now in the constructors. And you know, I, I am not convinced that if you didn't have Max and a very experienced driver like Sergio Perez in that team for next year, I can't help but think that that uh, points total in the constructors would be substantially greater than it is uh, right now. But, you know, just um, maybe just uh, drawing away from that uh, conversation a little bit, and I just want to start this conversation before we go into the uh, the, the, the final segment here after this uh, break, but it's interesting too if you look at the constructors it's still not a, a final uh you know i mean it's finalized obviously from the point that mercedes is a uh, constructors champions again but those uh places three four and five that uh, that that whole situation is uh, looking very juicy and interesting going into the final race and we'll talk about it here just on the other side of the break on the overtime media network so don't go away we'll be right back All right, well, welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark and Mark here, just breaking down the secure Grand Prix. And just before we went into the break there, Mark, we were just uh, talking about uh, Racing Point for quite a while in Checo Perez, but uh, just uh, moving away from that now, I wanted to look at the battle in the Constructors' Ed Championship for places three, four, and five. Obviously, one and two is uh, sewn up, but three, four, and five, I think, is very interesting because it really is... Well, I guess if uh, if Red Bull are the also-rans compared to Mercedes and, you know, not to be too insulting or offensive to <laughs> all the other teams in Formula One, but I guess these would be the also-also-rans. But, you know, bad jokes aside, I mean, you look at Racing Point, third in the constructors with 194 points, McLaren with 184 and Renault, uh, they, they've kind of clawed their way back at least to have a bit of a say in this one going into the final race in Abu Dhabi next weekend. Renault have 172 points. So this is definitely up for grabs. I mean, there there is only 20-something points, 22 points separating all three teams. And uh, I, I'm hoping for another wild and crazy weekend in, at Yas Marina next weekend, because I think that this is uh, th- this has been a fascinating situation to watch over the past uh, several races. And I mean, based on what we saw this uh, th- this weekend, I think that obviously that third is a uh, racing points, uh, uh, you know, p- p- position in the championship to lose. But I think that uh, McLaren and Renault have obviously acquitted themselves, uh, you know, very, very well over the, uh, you know, the the entire season. I mean, it, uh, you know, the, these results just aren't uh, based on uh, one race. But I mean, you look, we had Esteban Ocon getting his uh, first uh, podium in P2. You had uh, Danny Ricardo in, in P5. And then you had the, the McLarens both in the top 10. Carlos Sainz in P4 and then Lando in P10. So... Maybe I, I mean Lando was a, a little bit off compared to his uh, teammate. I mean Carlos, uh, you know, looked a little bit more uh, you know racier the entire weekend. But those are I, I think that's a pair of good results uh, for for both of those teams. And even though I, you know, 
Renault, I think, is a bit of an interesting one because, you know, they're currently uh, fifth in the, the Constructors' uh, Championship. But I don't think that's maybe a true indication of the, maybe not their entire season, perhaps maybe the second half of the season. I mean, Ricardo's had a couple of podiums, uh, you know, Ocon getting this one. And I think that's a, a good confidence builder for the for the young, uh, young Frenchman because when he came into Formula One, when he when he started out with the racing point, I think he did very well in his first part to his, uh, to his Formula One uh, career. Well, except maybe that time at... Uh, at Interlagos a couple of years ago when he tried to unlap himself and then uh, took out Max Verstappen uh, but uh, that that was obviously the you know, the you know the the one exception i mean he did very well and then you know he was like Sergio Perez you know, two years ago, uh, where he found himself. And so he had that year out of Formula One last year. And I felt that this year coming back into Formula One with Renault, good place for him to land. But I really felt like it's taken him time to really, we've seen little bits and pieces from him, but I really feel like, you know, he's kind of been a little bit further behind everyone else. And he's kind of been working up to that. So I think that was a great uh, result for him. But I think uh, certainly the the results that we've seen from uh, Ricardo, especially the second half of the season, <clears throat> I think that it's been maybe a little, I don't want to say a success story, that, that seems like a little bit too much of an embellishment, but I, I think that maybe they're, they're finishing the season in a, in a good place because I felt like last year they kind of dipped. I mean, certainly after when they, they came back into Formula One, when they took over Lotus a couple of years ago, that obviously there was only one way that a team could go and that was up. And you, you saw that progression and then it kind of leveled off and kind of dipped back down a little bit, uh, I thought, in 2019. So this year, I think that uh, they, they've had a much uh, better season, you know, several podiums now for both drivers. You got Fernando coming in next year, which is going to be, uh, I, I think that is an interesting dynamic. You have this whole rebrand to uh, to Alpine Racing, which... You know, I guess, I guess it's a, you know, a marketing thing, but, you know, sort of playing on the whole historical side. But I, I think this is an interesting team to watch uh, for, for next year. And then also you have that, uh, you know, this, this sort of like parallel side to that. What with Ricardo, you know, he, I always thought that was a bit of a strange situation. He, I always felt that he left Red Bull because he knew that was Max's team and he just jumped at the first decent opportunity that he had. And uh, obviously, Red Bull uh, was, uh, you know, <laughs> continued to be where they were. And Renault was a bit of a step in the wrong direction for him. But now, you know, he, he he's battling basically one-on-one with the team he's going to in McLaren for next year. So I, I think that is going to be a really interesting story to watch in 2021 is the, 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 the fortunes of uh, McLaren and Renault. And then uh, ultimately, uh, you know, how does that work out to, for, for, for Danny Ricardo? I think that is a fact fascinating story 2020 has been and and i'm really glad you brought this up because i think one of the things that i'm probably going to be watching most closely next weekend at yas marina is really the way that racing point and mclaren in particular prepare for that race i mean if you look at the constructor standings right now they're separated by 10 points but ultimately it's it's less about the bragging rights here and more about the fact that Third place versus fourth place in the Constructors' Championship equates to tens of millions of dollars in prize money. And for these two teams, that is critical. And again, we we talk a lot about the fact that Racing Point's in this really good position right now because they've got this huge kind of capital influx from Stroll and his consortium. But they're also now going to have to pay Vettel next year because really with the cash that comes from Telmex and Perez, you're not really paying anything for him. They're building a new factory at Silverstone. And again, if you're McLaren, as smooth as things have been on the track this year, and they've, they've been the second most reliable team after Mercedes this year. For that team, they now have to make the transition from a Renault power unit 
to a Mercedes power unit, but they're also having some fairly significant cash challenges themselves, both on the roadside car side of the business and the F1 side of the business. And for those of you that aren't familiar, this is a team that has uh, in Woking a, a phenomenal factory and a phenomenal facility. They're in the position of selling that just so they can lease it back because they need that short-term cash infusion. Uh, they've had some pretty significant investors out of Bahrain. Like this is a team that's been in a, a challenging position. So for these two teams, Third place in the constructors is a big, big deal. And I, I, I can't wait to see how that plays out next weekend because I think that's going to be one of those really interesting storylines or narratives that's probably going to be underplayed a little bit. Um, but yeah, for, for McLaren, it's it's really interesting conclusion to their short-term marriage with Renault because, of course, they're going to ditch the Renault power unit next year, make that transition to Mercedes. And they've basically been given a waiver to be able to do that, despite the fact that they, the car and the specifications have really been frozen next year. But that's going to be interesting to see. And I think maybe the last thing, too, and I, I know we're going to wrap this up pretty quickly here, but I haven't even said the word Lance Stroll. And <laughs> and you know what? As a, as a hometown Canada boy, like he, yeah. he should probably get a little bit of additional press here. But he's been able to put together a couple of nice races so despite the outcome in Turkey and despite the fact that he got flipped over last weekend in Bahrain, you know, this is a guy who's put together a couple of good races after a really, really, really challenging kind of middle sector of the season. And it was nice to see him quietly pick up that podium. And I was terrified at the end of the race that Carlos Sainz was all over him. And I, I'll be honest, like it was one of those moments where in the race, Stroll either has the pace or he doesn't have the pace. And I, I kind of felt like Sainz was going to get him just like Kvyat got him in Germany back in 2019. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I didn't have that confidence, but I thought it was amazing to see him hold him off despite the fact that he was on older tires. And maybe that's going to be really good for his confidence as well. And, and maybe just the last piece. And I, I don't mean to keep going back to this, but this is going to become a big storyline over the winter and going into next season. Obviously, Lawrence Stroll has invested a ton of capital into Racing Point. I think the long-term vision was always greater integration with Mercedes and rebranding to Aston Martin because those are two entities that are seeing increased integration in the road car divisions. Um, Yeah. Ultimately, I think for Lawrence Stroll, it was a big deal that if I'm going to invest all this capital in this team, I want to have a championship driver in the cockpit. I think there's going to be an awful lot of criticism next year if Vettel makes the transition over and they don't perform at an even greater level than they have this year. And I think that's going to be an interesting storyline to watch next year because between you and me, and I guess the thousands of people (laughs) that listen to this podcast, I haven't been particularly impressed with Vettel this year, to be totally honest. And I think as Ferrari season began to slip away over the first three or four races of the season, the team orders that really defined 2019 and the early part of this season kind of evaporated as well. But I haven't been impressed with what he's been able to put together this year. Um, So I think next year, for a lot of reasons, is going to be pretty fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I, I've maintained for a while that uh, Sebastian is a guy that really needs a, a change of scenery, but the, the writing has been on the wall uh, I mean, for for quite a while. And I think he's been resigned to the fact that just, it just wasn't going to happen True. with the Ferrari this True. year. And, and and I don't mean that to say that, uh, that that he's just kind of phoning it in and, uh, and, and not competing as hard as he needs to. I mean, the car obviously isn't all that great. And I mean, he's complained a lot of uh, times that it just doesn't have any grip and anything like that. So I, I think that he obviously is, is going to be uh, probably relishing the fact that uh, he's going to a team now next year that uh, that is uh, more competitive. But I mean, I, I think that he needs to, to, to kind of go back to basics a little bit. I, I mean, I think that... It almost sounds like a little bit illogical to say that I think that... that what. 
when I say that the pressure maybe got to him a little bit at Ferrari, I mean, being like a quadruple world champion before he even got there, I mean, it, it almost seems a little bit, I almost want to bite my tongue to say that, but I mean, as many times that there there were incidents and things that went wrong that weren't his fault, I mean, there were questionable things that he did on the track, you know, that, uh, that, 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 you know, he can't, uh, you know, he, he can't avoid those. And I've been critical about him, you know, and, and the things that he did, uh, you know, I, I mean, think about the time that he came together. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't need to list them all off uh, one, one by one. I mean, there, there are numerous examples, but, you know, and, and I took some heat from people that are uh, Vettel fans. It's just like, and, and my response is always the same. I mean, if you're in Formula One, you, you deserve the criticism. If you're a four-time world champion, I think that uh, that, that you, you know, a, a you do things like that, you make questionable decisions and uh, questionable moves on the track that uh, I think the criticism is, is warranted and, and justified. But, I mean, he is uh, going now from a team that is struggling and will probably continue to be in a similar position next year on the track, uh, unless there's some complete miracle in the, you know, <laughs> at Ferrari, which uh, which seems very unlikely. I mean, considering where the car is right now and the fact that everything's frozen for another year. So I think there's a lot for him to prove. And I think that uh, even though that, uh, you know, he's going to bring a lot with him, obviously that mentality that you have from a, a multiple world champion, someone that's been at Red Bull, somebody that's been at Ferrari, I think that there's a lot that... Um, you know, he brings in terms of insight and experience that will be very valuable to that organization. But just based on what, uh, you know, has happened uh, to him personally in races over the past couple of years, there is an element of risk for, for Aston Martin slash Racing Point, uh, you know, in bringing Vettel on. So how long, you know, he sticks around there? I think ultimately that that's a good question, but... It's it is going to be something really interesting to watch uh, next year, and you know how they you know they how you know like where do they go in terms of design with that car? You know how much does that get uh, altered? You know like I mean, there's only so much they can, they they can do with that. So it's going to be a fun one to watch. But also too with it, the, the the one question, and I almost uh, kind of hate this one too, is that the, the the people that always say, well, the only reason that Lance Stroll is in Formula One is because he's got a rich dad that bought him a team, and they're like, well. Yeah, okay. I mean, obviously his dad has a lot of money and obviously that money opened a lot of doors, but I mean, regardless how much money his dad has, and the same goes for any pay driver, that if you don't have some innate and natural talent, it doesn't matter how many dollars or pesos or pounds or euros you bring with you, you're not going to be there. But the, the, the question is, I mean, and, and we've seen more from Lance this year, and it, it's just interesting to see. I mean, he must be really salivating at the opportunity, you know, for next year with all the money that's coming in. And he's going to be sitting in the same garage next to a four-time world champion and being a young driver himself. He must be really looking forward to that to that that opportunity because I think that if it's going to happen for Lance in Formula One, it's going to happen, and he's really going to show us what he's made of. I think he's shown us more this year than he did in the first couple of years. That that now that he's been with Racing Point for a couple of seasons, and that team continues to have more money coming in, and they're doing better things. But, you know, the, the ultimate question is, uh, you know, at, at what point would they ever consider, you know, Lance shouldn't be with that team anymore. But I, I think that he's shown enough uh, for, for the time being that uh, that the indications is that, uh, you know, there, there's more to come from Lance. And I, I think last weekend at, in Bahrain, that rollover accident where he got uh, unceremoniously tipped on his roll bar by uh, Danny Kivy, I kind of summed up his season. It just uh, <laughs> it uh, it was just uh, frustrating uh, to, to watch and unfortunate, 
And I think that uh, d- despite some of the good results, and I think this will, you know, th- this P3 for for stroll at uh, Sakir today is probably confirmation that, uh, well, finally I got something. And, you know, he did say that he felt like that one got away from him. He ran wide after his pit stop and then also ran wide and that let, uh, you know, Sergio get past. But, you know, I, I think that's fair enough to say. And I think, you know, kudos to him for manning up and accepting that. But at the same time, I think that Sergio was just flying anyways. I think that uh, no no matter what Lance did, I think that, uh, that, that Sergio probably would have had him, you know, I think he would have picked him off at some point. I think that he wasn't to, to be denied. He had a, a head of steam behind him at that point and he was just rolling. I agree with everything you said. All right. Well, you know, I, I don't know if we could ever completely uh, tie up all the business after each and every race or every show, but uh, I, I think I'm in a much better space now. I, I think I've got this a, a little bit figured out a little bit better than I did an hour or so ago. So I, I think we're at a good spot to, to the, wrap this one up. And it still kind of blows me away to think that this time next week, we're going to be sitting down to wrap up the final race of the season. I mean, you kind of go back six months ago or a little bit more to thinking, are we ever going to get this season going? <laughs> and I mean, after that, uh, that, that race was canceled in Melbourne, you know, when, when COVID really started to, to, to start to snowball and it, it looked like the whole season was going to be a wash. And then there was, you know, rumors and, and stories. Oh, yeah, well, we're, we're looking at a shortened season to finally getting the 17 race season confirmed and up and going that, uh, you know, e- even though that it's all been decided, Mercedes are champs, Lewis, Lewis is champ again. I don't want the season to end, you know, especially these past several races. I, I've really enjoyed uh, a, a lot of the races this year, even though I know that Lewis kind of walked away with it. But I think that the the, the final tally and in, in, in both championships the final results by the time it's all said and done next year or sorry next week doesn't really do a lot of justice i think that the racing has been a lot more enjoyable i think the races have been a lot more enjoyable than maybe the the, the points and the results maybe show yeah i completely agree i i think maybe the the other thing to kind of wrap this one up as well partly because i'm 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 so exhausted after kind of stewing on this race <laughs> all day and and having watched it and now talked about it i i agree i feel a lot better that i i feel like i've i've better now sorted out the the circumstances that led to the outcome in my head but i think one last thing to mention as well and i think we would be i would be remiss if i didn't mention this because we talked so much about mick schumacher last weekend um he secured the f2 championship today mm-hmm. um despite a late ugly lockup he is an f2 championship or champion he is also an f3 champion so he will now enter formula one as a heavily credentialed racer he's done everything in the lower formulas necessary to set himself up for success i think maybe the only question mark is how long ferrari and we talked about this last week we don't need to get into it but how long he's going to be left to kind of stew at haas and what they look like from a performance perspective but i thought that was interesting as well and i just given uh, and i know i don't pay a ton of attention to the lower formulas but i think just given the fact that he obviously has uh, a really rich racing lineage and because we talked about him last week it was probably worth mentioning that he did secure that title and yep. obviously like we talked about last week it doesn't look like he's going to be in a seat next weekend um grosjean i don't know if we mentioned this earlier but won't be traveling to abu dhabi he's on his way home now um i think that was probably the right thing for him from a, a kind of a health and safety perspective yep. probably a right thing for the team as well doesn't look like uh haas will be integrating either of their 2020 2021 drivers into the racing team next weekend but uh thought it was worth mentioning that schumacher uh the son of seven-time world championship 
Um, Michael Schumacher is himself a two-time champion as well in the lower formulas. Yeah, congratulations to Mick, also the nephew of the legendary and lesser well-known Ralph Schumacher. <laughs> I always have to throw that there. I no disrespect to, to to Ralph Schumacher, but you know, it's always kind of interesting. You know, like uh, when you see like uh, compare the two Schumacher drivers, uh, just uh, how I mean, Ralph was a like a capable Formula One driver in his own right. But uh, certainly, I mean, it is going to be uh, something to really watch. I mean, we're, we're going to have to watch him mature, obviously, uh, at his time uh, with Haas. But, I mean, he brings a lot, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot riding on his shoulders. You know, there, there's a lot of expectations to live up to. I mean, when, when you're the son of, uh, of uh, Michael Schumacher and coming from that family with that background and, like you say, that racing lineage. But, uh, you know, like you say, he's now a fully credentialed and very experienced driver in the, the the lower formula and uh, formulas and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch and um, hopefully Haas can give him a good uh, car underneath him next year but even if they don't at least exposure to Formula One and if you really want to go back and and, and listen to that discussion that we had about Carlos Sainz being under pressure at Ferrari despite the fact he hasn't even raced in Ferrari yet go back and listen to last week's show because we talked about this in detail And certainly that that is something to, you know, going to be, you know, I mean, we talked at length about the whole George Russell uh, and Valtteri Bottas situation. It could be very much the, the, the same thing. I mean, if uh, Mick Schumacher impresses and does good things in that Haas, then who knows, right? I mean, certainly, you know, they're not bringing him into Formula One. He's not in that Ferrari ca- Academy just because of his name. You know, very, very much, uh, you know, he's earned that spot and he deserved it uh, or deserves it. So we'll have to, to, to see how his fortunes play out in Formula One. Anyways, this is a good place to wrap it up. It is, uh, well, that's the end of it. You know, this, this I just checked. This is episode 216. You know, every, every race since uh, Melbourne in Australia in 2016. So we, we're going into our... Oh, well, the end of our fifth season here, going into season six. So as always, thank you very much for listening to the show, watching on YouTube. If you want to get in touch with us, feedback, comments, you just want to say hi, do so on Twitter at ScooterF1Pod or email us at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. And on behalf of myself and Mark Hamilton, thank you very much. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Bye for now. <laughs>